Before Tiara and I begin, we would like to acknowledge that we are currently on the land of the Darug and Gurungai people. Sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, and always will be, Aboriginal land. Hello, my name is Tiara, and welcome or welcome back to another episode of Not To Be Controversial. Today I'm here with your lovely co-host, Barsha. <laughs> we want to preface this episode that we'll probably be discussing sensitive topics, um, and listener discretion is advised. Today we actually have an amazing guest, Tarang Chola, he is an advocate and a campaigner, and you'll be hearing him speak today. This week's episode is on accountability. Accountability. It is the antithesis of responsibility and virtue, and ideally, in a world brimmed with morality, not one person is exempt from their misconduct. It's taking ownership of whatever happens as a result of your actions or doing. Accountability looks like Gladys Berejiklian's mess of an ICAC trial. Accountability isn't Christian Porter hiding behind Scotty from marketing in the comfort of the backbench. Agree or disagree with me if you'd like, but... Holding women and men accountable for their shitty behaviour should start at a fairly early age, and I'm not talking about harsh punishments on children. I'm referring to the need to dispel cultural norms such as, if he's rude to you, he likes you, or some dudes just don't mature as fast as girls do. And whilst some of these points may hold a degree of truth, it's not good enough. Not anymore. Nor has it ever been, but let's just get to this week's episode. Calling out your mates and accountability. Before we dive right in, we are going to start with our classic check-in, obviously. So, the question that I have for today, and something that we actually talked to Tarang about as well, was if you were to be called out, so let's say you said something and it was a little bit insensitive or just, you know, it hurt the people around you, how would you like to be told that what you said wasn't right? TR, how would you like to be called out, I guess? Or like called in, maybe that's better language. It depends on the severity. So if I said something very controversial or sort of offensive, I would want to be called out in front of people because in my opinion, it's a way to regulate my behaviour. What she said was offensive. It doesn't matter if you intended it um, to be offensive or not. What you said was offensive and it caused harm to people. Um so in that sense I would love for it to to be called out in public not gonna lie I don't know I feel like that'll just be a learning experience in but public. also like in like in front of people I think it's okay for if something is said that is just grotesque and not right and harmful and discriminate I think that you can you have you have a right to call people out in public or in a setting where people are okay okay that makes sense I think I think I'd like to be told privately to be honest um I don't know like because I have been before I've like once I worked with a brand and people had issue with the brand that I worked with and being told privately instead that you know I don't think the brand has a right ethics allowed me to go and talk to the brand then instead if I was just like cancelled on social media because then I also figured out that that part of the brand that I was working with wasn't actually doing anything wrong it was ethical and it was all of that and like it did align with my values but having that space I think to be called out privately or just be told privately that you know I don't think what you're doing is right there could be concerns here 
felt really good because it's like I mean it didn't feel good in the sense that I was doing something wrong but it felt good in the sense that people care enough to let me know um yeah I just I don't think I would enjoy it publicly I feel like I feel I feel like I don't know I think I just like I wouldn't be able to get rid of the guilt Mm, no I get that it's hard to like no because I've been in social settings where someone has said something really bad and I'm like I'm not going to be the one to tell you off but someone has and they've been caught out in public and that's the only way that they've been able to learn from it so if I do ever cross a line I do hope that I'm embarrassed so I don't embarrass myself probably more later Mm. um but I don't know that's probably a really weird way of thinking but I don't know I feel like that would probably hold me accountable no I get that but then you also see people like James Charles and it's like bruh I don't know I think it's very individual at the end of the day and like how you best respond to it so yeah I think just just a little bit of a question oh yeah the best way no no no. the best way is to uh, sort of address it in private like hey mate you did something you said something a bit sus or you said something a bit morally questionable early on I just wanted to express to you that people in the room felt uncomfortable or that I felt uncomfortable or offended and literally all you have to do is say sorry and actually mean it and be like oh I didn't mean it so handling it private is actually a better way but I don't Mm. know I do low-key feel like being called out in not in public but it is depending on what's said it's okay for people to be called out in a group so Vasha and I are in a bit of a fat rant, but now we'll cut to Tarong's bit. So get excited, guys. Today we have a very special guest, advocate and campaigner, Tarong Chala. Um, he's with us today from Melbourne. You are, Tarong, you are a an amazing advocate online for women's rights and so many other things that a lot of people would find confronting or information that's hard to consume and obviously from people that aren't obviously as educated or find it hard to wrap their head around that topic they would rebuttal against you and probably say some terrible things and what has been sort of your experience with toxic masculinity online or just people calling you out online? Um, firstly, thank you so much for having me, Vasha and Tiara. Um, it's great to be on your podcast. Yeah, and a great, I mean, a great question, right? Like, I think there's, um, I think like, let's get into it, right? There's like a difference between how people of colour, um, whether it's people from South Asian background or other um, groups that tend to be marginalised in the mainstream are um, responded to and reacted to when they um, either either they're on the side of calling out certain behaviour or they're on the side of... Um, they're on the side of, say, like having done something problematic and then their behaviour is called into question. But there's so many, like, intersections there that play into how they're responded to and reacted to. Um, and in terms of that side of, like, toxic masculinity, um, the internet, it, I mean, it's a strange beast, right, particularly on social media, that it allows us to communicate in ways that... Um, many of us, you know, people of colour don't have the opportunity to, you know, like we don't have representation in the media. So many of us who are advocates, activists, campaigners, use social media arguably more or uh, certainly as, you know, 
the first port of call rather than mainstream channels and then we like take it like we don't have like a mainstream strategy that we then media strategy that we then um make fit for purpose on social Uh, often social is the only way that we can get any message out you know from our heart and mind into the community and then like the news will pick it up you know like white media will be like oh these people are doing amazing things right and that's i think that you know that happens for a lot of people it happens for for youth particularly but when it happens with the intersection of race and ethnicity i think it's even more pronounced i think that that's sort of like the thing so there, there's certain affordances and and privileges that social media offers people but then with that comes the um this sense of anonymity that that feeds um, pre-existing patriarchy. It's not like, you know, people like to think that um, trolling online or toxic ma- examples of toxic masculinity and bullying and that kind of culture on the internet exists only on the internet, you know? But those are, they're real people. They're not bots that are set up to write, you know, uh, comments of hate. They're real people who hold those views, but online gives them a space to have that behaviour, to, to engage in ways that um, that show toxic masculine culture, I think. Yeah, and on that, I think that's such a great point. But do you think it's, do you think that when the media picks up stories around people of color, there needs to be an extravagance to it? Or like even around youth, I think, like if you look at the school strikes, for instance, you need to have hundreds of thousands of people gathering in the street, but then the royal family like literally holds a baby and we're all screaming about that. So do you think there's kind of a particular way that people of color need to go about sharing their story that actually allows it to get picked up? Or do you think that kind of reduces the authenticity of it? I think it's tricky, right? I think that like we we exist not in a vacuum. We exist, you know, as part of as part of mainstream culture, but often we have our stories co-opted or we have our experiences co-opted. So sometimes we can use social media to like say what we think, you know, for example, particularly I've, I've noticed and observed with women of color, there are certain views that when women of color express, they won't get mainstream media attention right? But they will get it if it doesn't harm the existing power structures in place. So it's almost like this kind of thing of like, the authenticity comes down to um, us having as people of colour having to make a decision about, I mean, to use your, your podcast name, not to be controversial, you know, like if we if we are too controversial, right, particularly, I think, you know, speaking as a man, but you know, for, for what I've observed, when women of colour speak up is that they are you know, often quite discreetly and subtly told to stay in their lane. You know, it's like, know your place. And I think that culturally, you know, among our cultures, whether it's Indian, and Indian's not a monolith, but like whether it's broad parts of India, Pakistan, Bangladesh, Sri Lanka, wherever it may be, um, and even the diasporas through like Singapore, Malaysia, but like broadly the collective South Asian experience, right, Um and it's not stereotypical, I have to flag that, but the, the broad kind of collective South Asian experience tends to be that when you when you think about speaking up, you know, as a person of a younger generation, sometimes people from older generations, despite having the best of intentions, will want us not to speak up. You know, they will think that it's better if we don't rock the boat, you know, because it might harm our job security, it might harm our relationship prospects, it might harm our um, family standing within the community. You know, I think that what I'm, what I feel so heartened by and what I love seeing is how many young, you know, 
Australians that are people of color, you know, and, and from migrant backgrounds are just saying, fuck it, I'm going to say what I think, I'm going to articulate what I believe in. And it's rarely, if ever, that controversial. I mean, the stuff that I tend to encounter is backed by proper evidence, you know, it's it's or it's putting forward a social view that might not be in the mainstream, but it's doing so respectfully and tactfully. And I think that you know, that's, we have to create space for that. We have to allow space for that discussion. And I think one of the things that I lament about the state of Australian media broadly is that there isn't space for young women, you know, of colour. There isn't space for uh, even, you know, men of colour like me. There's not, you know, I, I get opportunities from time to time to go on, say, ABC and SBS, and maybe once or twice a year I'll go on a mainstream network, you know, and that's that's the most you know and that too is like um is like three minutes or five minutes you know but if i made jokes about oh you know indians are so funny because we drive taxis and own 7-elevens that would that would put me on you know because it doesn't it doesn't offend or it doesn't uh it doesn't get to anyone's sensibilities in a way that is is shocking or controversial but if we talk about you know how our foreign policy might impact on certain uh, marginalized groups. So if we talk about how, you know, we as a nation need to do more to tackle forms of racism that are less overt, more subtle, there's a, there's less of an appetite for that. Um, it's certainly growing and it's changed, uh, but it there's certainly like we're in early days, I think, in Australia compared to other nations. When is it appropriate to call out certain behavior? How do we call it out? To answer that really honestly, and I think you asked it from the perspective of being women of color, right? And I don't I don't necessarily think it's my place to answer for women of color and say, like, this is what women of color should do. But to the men who are listening, I think that, you know, um, and, and, the, and the women and non-binary people that are listening, is finding ways to encourage men to say something. Because particularly in patriarchal cultures and institutions, men listen to other men. You know, like I've seen it in meetings all the time. I've seen it in, you know, whether it's in formal workplace settings, whether it's in casual settings, you know, even the simplest examples, right? Like you can be in a group of friends deciding where to go to eat, right? And one of the girls, one of the women will suggest something and the idea will get glossed over. And then two minutes later, one of the guys will suggest the exact same place. And everyone will be like, oh, that's a great idea. You know, and it's like, she literally said that two minutes ago. She literally said the same place. Like, you, you, were you not listening or were you just taking her idea? And it might sound trivial, right? And it, it's probably in that context, it is, it is um, not, you know, the biggest thing in the world. But the, the reality of it is, is that behavior sort of uh, takes away from women's agency and autonomy in the way that, like, their, what they think is, is a good idea, if they suggest it and then it gets ignored, Right, that silence breeds like this this environment of like that what they think and what they believe doesn't matter as much, right? And I think that for men in particular, and men from South Asian backgrounds, is having a responsibility to speak up so that women's voices can be amplified. And what I mean by that is not speaking up so that you are the person speaking up and it's all about you, right? Or it's not our job as men to speak for women who are there and capable of speaking for themselves, 
but rather it's our job to raise the awareness and profile of the fact that women exist and are able to speak for themselves, that we need to level that playing field, right? So whether, you know, for instance, let's, let's, um, let's say we're at a, a you know, a, a family gathering, right? And someone says something inappropriate. The, what's stopping other than pride, you know, or sense of one's, you know, not wanting to rock the boat um, is stopping a, a, a male figure when something is said that's sexist or misogynistic or um, in line with cultural expectations in such a way that demeans a woman. Like if someone makes a comment, you know, about a 20-something-year-old young woman and is like, oh, when are you getting married, right? When are you getting married? When are you getting married? What's stopping one of the men from saying, hey, I don't think we should talk about this right now or I can sense that it's making her uncomfortable, right? So sometimes examples of calling out in, in South Asian culture are less about making, you know, a, a big song and dance about it. It's it's not about like cancelling people, but rather about calling in the person who has been made to feel less than, right? Like checking in, like, hey, I saw that so-and-so relative made this comment. Are you okay? And how can I support you? I think that's something that men can do and should do if they're not already doing, right? Is when they see that behaviour, rather than just putting the mute button on and saying nothing and doing nothing, actually doing something. And it doesn't have to be in the moment, right? And that that won't create a scene, you know, as we like to say in South Asian cultures, that won't make a big argument and it won't cause like a big drama. In fact, it'll just show the woman or women around um, you that you're there, right? And you care and that you are actively invested in breaking down the structures that have for a long time, um, either directly oppressed women or made their lives more difficult than they need to be. And even just on that, actually, to add, I was wondering if there are times when we shouldn't call it out, whether it's just a little bit safer to take a step back and be like, first of all, it's emotionally draining sometimes to call people out. And second of all, it's just not the safest. And at the end of the day, family relationships and those things do exist. Um, so, yeah. Oh, it's a great question. I think it really, to me, it speaks to the importance of prioritizing self-care, right? Like you can't, it's so cliche, but you can't pour from an empty cup. And I think that one of the things about um, dealing with those scenarios with, you know, we've all been there, right? When you have like relatives, maybe there could be your parents, could be siblings, could be anyone, right? Anyone you have a close connection to, regardless of whether they're family or not, um, in South Asian, curry, whatever cultures, it's so like, it's so hard, right, in that moment because it's like it's emotionally draining. It's it's not often – it's thankfully not as often like physically unsafe but um, – and it may be, but sometimes it's just so emotionally draining, right, because it's like talking to a brick wall, right? You get – you either get like stonewalling back like days and days of silent treatment, right, or, or like weeks of silent treatment. And that's, I think, a particular like form of abuse that occurs in South Asian communities where like um, in order to wield power, individuals will just stop talking to the other person. That's, and that's their way of dealing with the problem. Like rather than saying, hey, you said whatever they said and I felt, you know, ashamed or I felt embarrassed or I felt angry because of that and having a, a conversation about it, they just act like it never happened, right? And they just like, like, um, yeah, just sweep it under the rug. Like I've heard examples, you know, of, of people who have tried to come out to their parents and their parents will just like nod, 
as in like I acknowledge that words were said and then they get up and leave the room and they refuse talking to their child, you know, for like months or years. And it's like that is not, that that is like, that is horrible. Like I can't think of a more traumatizing experience to go to people that you love and trust more than anyone in the world and to have that response. So I think that one of the things for anyone who's grappling with wanting to speak out about whatever the issue may be, either a personal issue or a, a broader social issue with someone they trust, is to, before you do it, put the checks in place so that you're looked after, so that your well-being doesn't rest on their response, right? It's like your well-being is your own priority regardless. And I think that's something that I've learned over time is that I I don't have any control over how the person will respond. You know, like I've I've had instances where I've spoken to people assuming because I thought I knew more about them than I thought I did is that I um, I thought they'd respond in a particular way and they were either more or less open-minded than I'd expected them to be. And when they're less open-minded, it's really confronting because you expect something, right? And then the root of that disappointment for me and that, and that um, hurt is because I'd expected something different. So I go into things now without a sense of expectation and I say it because it's 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 true to me and it's important to me and if I get it off my chest then that alone in that moment is enough because I can't expect other people on their journey of figuring out what they believe right um I can't expect them to be where I am at the same place in time and I know that that like sounds a bit like hippie mumbo jumbo crystal talk but the reality is that like um one of the things that I think we're taught in South Asian cultures broadly is like this idea of respect your elders. And, and I think, I think like, I like the idea in principle, right? But I don't think that we follow that idea in principle. I don't think we have respect your elders. I think we have comply with people older than you. And they're not the same thing, right? Like respectful disagreement is possible, right? Like parents can believe something, right? And children should have a right to say, that's cool. Like you believe that I don't. Right. And this is what's right for me, you know? And, and I think that we need to develop stronger relationships within families that go beyond like, what will people say or how will this be perceived or how will it appear to an idea of genuine selfless love and compassion? You know, then another person has it, has, it may be their sexuality, it may be uh, a, a forming part of their identity, it may be their political views, whatever. They have a freedom to express that and we don't have to agree, but we have to afford each other a base level of respect, you know, and, and that, that, that means not abusing the other person, either silently or overtly. Um, and I think that if we don't get there, if we don't manage to do that, then we will... Um, continue along this path, I think, of, of having fracture and dysfunction within South Asian families and within communities. And I think that it, it really holds us back because the, the less united we are as a collective, the more problematic it is when we try to make change at a social level to tackle ingrained issues of sexism, racism, misogyny, um, and, and things like that. You make an amazing, amazing point about the whole um, dynamic of relationships when it comes to older people and um, young people specifically in brown families because I've certainly been in situations where I've been like like one family I am it is so it is music to my ears when I am kind of in a like a family social setting 
and someone agrees with me on something because I have been one-on-one with an uncle and their rebuttal is you're 19 you don't know anything or oh, oh, these kids used to be so much better in the day or oh is that your daughter is she trying to speak uh, is she trying to speak up against me and it's not even like disrespect on any, on any grounds it's not disrespectful if anything it's just a contrasting or a differentiating opinion and they see it as disrespect um so that sort of aspect of younger people of color and children having to be submissive and um sort of agree with many things is it's it's very prevalent amongst all of us and i think a lot of people listening can agree with that um so basically vasha's wi-fi just dipped entirely um, and she's messaging me like, I can't come back in. Sorry for how chaotic this has been. I no, promise this is fun. you, we're not this normally fun. like this. Um, no, oh, I mean, she, if, she, you're, yeah. if you're ordinarily like this, I'd almost like it more. It's like the, everyone's so polished now in social media. And I don't know how to do that, right? Like I was having a conversation with a friend because I said to them, um, my social media feed is very ugly. And they go, what do you mean? And I went, I, like, it's not curated. Right. Like uh, my Instagram is like I just decide on the day that oh, I feel like having a hot pink background with white text. And they're like, and uh, another day it's like this is more serious. So I'll just put white text on black. And some days I feel like, you know, a serif font, other days a sans serif font. Like there's no cohesion, whatever. And most people's things are very uh, like well designed, really like tastefully done. And I don't have that, right? Mine's chaotic. And then my friend was like, look, you're a true advocate and campaigner. And I said, what do you mean? They go, because your your thing is just whatever. Like, it's just like, I care about this. I'm talking about this. It's not like, um, you know, this is my brand sponsorship that I'm doing and everything is like down to like the the really perfect kind of font spacing and, and the pictures are all stylized and stuff. And I was like, that means a lot. Like it, it's just, it's, yeah. So I like seeing a bit of like um, a bit of like, I wouldn't call it dysfunction, but a little bit of like organized chaos. Organized chaos. No, um, my sisters and I, my sisters are obsessed with you. Um, they're also lawyers and they were like scrolling through your feed or like low key, high key stalking you last week. And they were like, oh my God, he seems like he's just so genuine and authentic. I don't see that in Instagrams anymore, especially in the advocacy space. So yeah, that is something I've been wanting to point out to you for a very long time. Oh, I appreciate that. Advocacy is, it's straight. Like, do you remember that, um, there was, there was that show with Priyanka Chopra. I don't know what happened about. We talked about that. She got a lot of crap. Yeah. She got a lot of crap because people were like, you trying to capitalize off of real issues and they basically are trying to make a documentary about it but uh, yeah it's it's stupid yeah it's it is it is ridiculous and i think that it really diminishes and downplays what uh you know what activism is i think you know like there is this perception i think now that's growing among social media that just um you know, particularly among influencers that they're like, oh, I care about so-and-so issues. So they just start talking about it. And I'm, I'm eternally grateful that more people speak up about social issues, but I think that, you know, um, education, and I don't mean just formal roots of education, because that's um, something that I've grappled with and understanding that like, that's essentially like a, a very classist way of looking at things, but the one must educate themselves in some way before they start speaking out or try to, do the best that they can. And I find it 
deeply problematic when, uh, and I'm sorry, this is getting somewhat off topic, but I find it deeply problematic when I see um, influencers who are like, you know, uh, fashion models or stylists or whatever the case may be, right? And then they like, they start talking about issues and advocating for issues, but the brands that they work with actively discriminate or have actively discriminated against marginalized groups. Or say, for instance, they manufacture in in ways that uh, take away from the human rights and dignity of, uh, you know, whether it's women in Bangladesh that are working in the factories. And it's like their working conditions are abominable. Like they're the lowest of the low. And they're like, but I believe in representation. And it's like, well, then, you know, and it's a tricky thing, you know, like I acknowledge many of them are doing the best that they can. But the problem that I see is not at an individual level, at a macro level, it's like, this is just a curated feed. This is like a, this is like a stylized bourgeoisie art gallery, right? Like this, what, what is this really? Like, this isn't like some kind of collective of artists where it's all a mismatch. You know, this is not Jean-Michel Basquiat, right? And Keith Haring in the 80s. This is not that. This is like, this is like, you know, um, the novo reach of society where it's like it's strange. It's a really strange dynamic that I see play out. And I, um, I'm sorry, you know, to everyone that I'm not articulating it as well as I could. But the reality is that like we need to find ways to have a balance. You know, people obviously need to make a living. I need to make a living. It's, it's hard doing this kind of stuff. But we have to we have to find a way to not compromise our integrity and our morals. You know, because if we are speaking up about causes while actively receiving handouts from people who are um, pushing those people down that we're advocating for or purporting to advocate for, that's not how it's meant to work, I think. I don't think that's how it's meant to work. You know, like you can't, you can't do that. That to me, that that seems a little bit odd and hypocritical. Um, and I acknowledge it's very hard, it's very tough, but um, it's a strange thing where like people who are content creators or whatever the you know influencers, whatever the term is, will start speaking out about social issues. You know, about and, and doing so in a way where it's like it's more important to get the shot, you know, of you being at the protest than actually just being at the protest. You know, and it's. Um, yeah, I think that I would love to see more um, candid, authentic um, representation, not stylized kind of like perfect, you know, representation. Yeah, same. It's not enough to have your token brown girl, your token Asian dude anymore. It feels to, like you're right. It feels much too manufactured to actually be representation. Okay, so once again, heaps of experience in the advocacy space amazing campaigner thank you for everything you do um but we just wanted to know has there ever been a time where you've been respectfully called out or respectfully like hey mate i disagree with this uh yeah yeah i mean um, a lot of calling out happens uh not on a public stage right a lot of a lot of respectful calling out is not intended to shame the other person Right. And I think, you know, to that point, like sometimes I will receive criticism when I speak about issues publicly, because I mean, let's take the example of, of Sam Frost, the actress and influencers um, use the word segregation, which I disagreed with, uh, acknowledging that, yes, I'm aware that, you know, on the bookshelf behind me, there is a, an Oxford dictionary. I have read the definition of segregation. I just thought in context, it was not used in the most appropriate fashion. Um, However, notwithstanding all of that, 
an interesting dynamic that played out in that is that when I spoke about the issue, I was told, why are you not contacting her directly? Why are you doing this in a public forum? And I thought it's interesting that a person of colour with some 20-something thousand followers online or 30, whatever it is, um, was being asked that question. And yet Sam Frost with over half a million and, you know, a a contract with the Seven Network to be an actress in one of their, you know, primetime television shows was not asked, why are you, why are you talking about uh, public health issues on a social media platform when you are not a doctor, you are not a, you know, a health professional and we are in the midst of a pandemic the proportions and likes of which we have not seen in a century. So I think that there's this really strange thing, right? And interestingly, I did contact her privately, right? I never heard back. Um, and uh, and I offered, you know, I volunteered to support her to address the issue. You know, if she wanted to address it with her fans who are people of colour or the, you know, seven network viewers who are people of colour to say, hey, like, I didn't know that this is what that word can mean and the context in which I used it was not the the best choice of words and I'm sorry and I want to learn more and do better and and try and improve right and like I wouldn't have got paid for that wouldn't got any credit it was just a you know a thing that I believe that we all have capacity to learn and educate ourselves and so I think that a lot of calling out doesn't happen in a way where it's it's a very public thing but I think that what we the time that we're living in is that the people can people with influence can go unchecked when they say things. So often a lot of calling out happens publicly. With me, the calling out that's happened is like I made a joke, and um, you know, a woman uh, that I don't know well um, uh, didn't didn't like it, and she said, you know, I felt objectified when you made that joke, and I apologized. I was like, I'm sorry, I didn't. And all I said was, I did not intend that, but that does not matter. I'm sorry for saying something that made you feel uncomfortable, and um, if this ever happens again, please let me know because I don't want that to be the dynamic that we have, and that's it. And we have a great friendship, and it's it's perfectly fine because the the reality is like most people, you know, overwhelmingly are quite reasonable, right? And I think that if we, you know, particularly men, if we get past this idea of being um, being uh, defensive right, or thinking that we are under attack when someone tells us that we've done something that made them feel uncomfortable, we actually, we have the opportunity to exercise empathy, we have the opportunity to grow, and we have the opportunity to develop a stronger and more meaningful relationship with the other person. Um, I've had other examples where people have um, have said to me, um, there was a South Asian origin man, um, Sri Lankan guy, and he was like, once we're out at, at drinks, and he was like, I had to unfollow you on social media. And I was like, Okay. And he's like, I don't know if you notice. And I was like, I, I don't notice because I don't, like, I don't check. I don't go through. And he's like, yeah, well, I had to unfollow you. And I was like, okay. And he's like, yeah, because I don't think we have racism in Australia. Like I've never experienced it. Um, but I think you think that everyone's racist. And I said, that's fine. Like, I don't think everyone's racist, but I do speak out about racism. And I think that we all have a responsibility um, to tackle prejudices, bigotry, and we're all kind of growing and learning. And we just fundamentally disagreed, right, on that. But the, the, the disagreement was overwhelmingly respectful. I always find it funny, though, when people are like, you know, when people will announce on social media that they're unfollowing someone, because there was, and I don't know who wrote the joke, certainly not mine, but I think it's hilarious, where they're like, 
this isn't an airport, Karen. Like, you don't need to announce your departure. You know, it's like, if you're, if you're leaving, it's fine. Like, it's not someone's home. Like, you don't need to be like, I'm going now. It's just like, so like, I mean, I've unfollowed people on social media just because I was like, yeah, I mean, I don't follow many people just because for my own mental health, right? Like if I, because it's so, as we were talking about before, it's so curated, right? And so stylized. And if I see too many images that look like a perfect reality, I start thinking about how my life doesn't measure up. And then I, and then I spiral into like negative thought patterns and it's, it's no good for me. Um, and I don't think it's good for anyone. So I, that's why, like, I don't follow a lot of people on social media, but I think it's interesting when people like will announce to you that they're doing that. So there's different things, you know, there's, there's people that disagree with you. There's other examples where you'll say something. There's also, because I'm vocal about, you know, issues that, uh, that affect people on a day-to-day basis, whether it's misogyny and sexism, patriarchal institutions, uh, men's violence, racism, discrimination, equality, um, inclusion, all of these things, right? They touch on the the very nature of the human condition. Because I speak about a lot of this stuff, um, and I've also written like, you know, kind of almost taking the piss at times, like, well, how to write a genuine apology if you're if you're actually remorseful, and then taking the piss being like, oh, you don't need a discount code for this or whatever. Sometimes people who disagree with me will, you know, or if facts change and i say i wrote something on a monday and then the facts changed by like a thursday they'll be like are you going to go apologize are you going to go and do like are you going to go and like tell them how sorry you are and it's really it's strange because it's like this thing about like people being out for revenge rather than anything else because like on the occasions where i've said something and it's been alerted to me i'll just do a post the next day you know and be like i said this and i'm sorry or this is not the case or you know i'd said this because I read it in the news and then now this is the facts. And, you know, sometimes it's almost like an impulse to want to write back to them, you know, get your phone and be like, time happens. Like what was happening on Monday is not happening now because time happened, things changed. But, you know, um, you see all sorts on the internet. You see the, you see some of the, um, see some of the most beautiful things, right? Some of those beautiful parts of the human experience when people post about, you know, when people post like, so I remember seeing this man from London who posted about how he came out to his parents and they they supported him unequivocally. And it was one of the most beautiful videos I've ever seen, right? Because it was just like, I, I, you know, I want every South Asian parent to watch that. Well, everyone who's going to be, you know, of South Asian origin who's going to be a parent to watch that. Because they were just like, okay, we love you. That that was it. That was the whole discussion. And it was so matter of fact. Um and what it did, what I, what I found so beautiful about it was that it touched on like, there's that stereotype, right, with South Asian men that they tend not to want to talk about emotions or feelings unless it's like, unless it's Drake lyrics, in which case it's like, it's all the feels. But if it's not, if it's not that, then there's no feels. But this was so like matter of fact, you know, but it was still affectionate. And it was like, it doesn't have to be, you know, I think that as South Asian men, sometimes we feel these, uh, because of how whiteness is normalized and the and the white male experience is normalized, we feel that we have to fit into those ideas of of behavior, right? If we're even if we're expressing openness and transparency. But we don't need to. We can have our own experience that still displays those emotions. And I think for me that's that's my goal, right? That's my that's my uh my fundamental kind of wish in in this time we get on on earth that like 
more South Asian people, particularly men and and um, young women of color, find the um, resources and freedom to express themselves more fully. You know, like I I I'm losing track. I think now of the number of people from South Asian backgrounds who go into all of the regular careers who would be amazing poets or painters or sculptors or anything else, right? But they go and be accountants. And if you know what, if you want to do that, great, fantastic. But if you're doing that just because like your parents did that and their parents think it's good and, you know, they're like, we've got to, we've got to harness whatever we can, right? And there's so many great role models. There's so many particularly young women of color or women of color broadly who are, breaking down barriers who are who are really trailblazing across different professions and i think that if there's anything we can draw from them it's that resilience and resolute will to do whatever's necessary to succeed and i would love to see more of that mm, oh 100% Like, first of all, we need to just acknowledge how amazing Tarang is before Tiara and I get back into ranting and our nonsensical thoughts. He's just absolutely fantastic. Yeah, no, just amazing and absolute joy to I talk to. Just such a yeah. lovely human. So thank you so much, Tarang, for joining us, if you're listening to this. Um, but yeah, so I guess back to that thing of accountability. Tiara, mm-hmm. you were saying that it's okay to call people out in a group. What kind of context do you mean that in? But I've been in social situations whereby a friend has said something very sus, like dropping the N-word or making a misogynistic comment or saying something that's borderline. Actually, there's no such thing as borderline racism, just saying something racist. And because you have a relationship with this person, you're obligated to tell them that it's wrong. And sometimes you just don't have the luxury of doing that in private because you're in a public setting. So what you can do, you can always pull them aside and say, hey, mate, not the right thing to say. I think it was discriminatory and rude. But I have been in instances where there have been, where I've, where I've actually haven't been the one to do it. But I've had a mate call out another mate and be like, dude, don't say that. Like, there are people here or there are people here that have a sort of experiences that you're making fun of or pers- a person that you're demeaning. And I remember he was so taken aback that he didn't have time to, like, that's the thing, right? When you're caught out in public, of course there is room for redemption, or at least I believe that there is room for redemption. So when you're caught out in public, there is an aspect of it's going to be hard to return from that. But if you've said something of that nature and if you truly believe in your heart of hearts that the sentiment that you have just shared that is so clearly discriminatory and prejudice, if you believe it, then I think to a degree you deserve to be quite in public. And this instance in particular that I'm reminiscing on was just an acquaintance of mine that said something just straight up like woman-hating and misogynistic. And another one of our mates was like, you can't, you can't say that, like that is just misogynistic. And he said it in a calm but also a very serious tone. And he was like, oh, I, I didn't, like, it, it was just lighthearted banter, like a, a, a woman get in the kitchen joke. Yeah, it's always, oh, I didn't mean it like that. Well, you you just can't take a joke, can you? And it's like, no, fuck you, I can't take a joke. But you're just being an absolute vagina right now. Right, like near the end of it, there was a sort of gaslighty esque response where it was, oh, 
The girls in here didn't care. You guys can't take a joke. Well, the females in here did care. We cared deeply. You made a very rude joke. And it wasn't, it was something, he made a joke about the C word. And, but it was said very aggressively and disgustingly. And it's not that the girls didn't take offense to it. We did. But we're also surrounded by a group of dudes and we don't, the power dynamic is very imbalanced. And I can't, like me now, 100% would have risked getting beat up and been like, you're a dick shit. Like, just don't say that to me ever again. But would you, like, do you think that's ever worth it? Like, the risk of getting beat up? Like, I, I know that you're probably saying that in a more, like, not not in a real way, I guess in a hypothetical sense. But I don't think, I feel like there is that fine line between danger and yeah, there calling is, yeah. someone out. Because some people are just not worth it. Yeah, and I'm, like, talking, like, emotional mm. drain as well as just, like, physical danger, which is something that we talked about with Tarang, but it's something that does scare me because I was talking to a friend a couple days ago and they were like, oh, you know, I was at this place and, like, this guy was yelling at what would probably seem to be his partner. It seemed like she was used to it, so it probably was ongoing violence or something of that sort, and I didn't know what to do. And in that situation, like, my other friend then said, you know, I would just hint that I want to, I'd want her to go to the bathroom or something like that. But there are times where you're just too freaked out and you're worrying about yourself more. And I feel like sometimes you just can't call people out and it sucks. But yeah, I don't know. I don't really know a way around it because yeah, of course, I think it's important to try and be like, oh, maybe just go to the bathroom and like get them out of the situation. But there's also so many more complexities to it. No, no, you're right. It's because you're thinking at the time, not only could it turn out dangerous but is it worth the social and emotional turmoil that could potentially erupt because you've decided to speak up and I hate that I hate that in many situations when it just happens to be a female that is in rebuttal to a male that has said something stupid or prejudice based it's the girl that they're always like don't make him worse or you know don't speak up know your place like mm. that just happens way too often so I always, I do like to, you know, as the astrology bitches would say, like I do have a bit of Sagittarius in me whereby I get very bold and ambitious and if there's something of the contrary to my personal beliefs, I will be like, "Uh no, come back, let's say it again, say it again. Um, But I also am well aware that I am a little stocky, actually not stocky, I'm just a little 19-year-old brown girl that could not, you know, fend for herself entirely, mm. at least not properly. So I do adhere to the submissive sort of, oh, I shouldn't be saying much because I don't want to get beat up or emotionally or like socially ostracized because I spoke up about something. But I do it because of safety, but because of all the shit I hear about dudes and King's Cross that hit a girl for um, responding to their cat call, right? It's it's shit like that. Uh, there's no point in me putting myself in. And I have been in situations, so there's no point in put me putting myself... You weigh the risks and the benefits, so there's no point in putting myself in danger for something I believe in. But also there is the urge to be like, shut the fuck up. Like, I guess when you think about things like racism outside of the context of your friends as well. So for one of my subjects at uni, we were... We've been doing these, like, it's essentially one of those units where you read a book every week or every two weeks, and then they have a lecture on it, and some of the texts that we got were just inherently white, and 
essentially turf territory. That's all it was. And like some of these women who we were reading feminist readings and they'd been accused of grooming, etc. And just like really shitty things and like anti-Semitic behavior. And I was like pretty pissed off and a lot of other people were pissed off as well because they're like this unit kind of marks itself as this really like revolutionary oh we're like talking about people of color and shit because they have one they have one text that's by an indigenous author they have one text that's by a black woman and then they have two by a Chinese person and I was like this doesn't speak revolutionary to me. This speaks tokenism. That's all this is. And I wanted to write an email to my lecturer and be like, hi, I just don't think this is okay. And I was telling my mom about this because I was just so insanely mad. Like I was just ridiculously frustrated. And my mom was like, I think you need to get more people to come along with you and write this email if you're going to do that, because this is probably going to affect you. This is probably going to affect your grade somehow. And in that moment, I was like, I can't believe my mom's thinking like this. Like, how selfish is it? And the thing is, like, she's had experiences in her own workplaces, in her own life, where she probably has tried to call out racism. In fact, I know she has. And she's not been treated highly for it. It's affected her. And I think the reason that we're sometimes so cautious to speak up around these things, around sexism, um, homophobia, etc., is because there are people who have tried to, and they are demonized for it their you know their job promotion's gone their grades go down um their relationship with their boss is wrecked so i think there is really that fine line and like i want to take care of myself but at the same time i also want to be able to call out like systemic racism when it's just so blatantly in front of me so i decided the best way to go about it without my grades being ruined is i'm just going to send an email after um, the semester finishes and it almost is. I handed in my last assignment. So after I'm done with exams, I'm more than happy to send an email through and be like, hi, I don't think your choice of text and the way you teach this, teach this unit is the best because you're having a white dude talk about a book written about slavery by a black woman. Mm. Like, I think there's, yeah, it's just, it's hard in workplaces and schools and stuff. Right. Like you can't, it's weird there was a I'm not gonna name the subject but there are people that I know like my mates who listen to the pod like I know you guys will know who I'm talking about there is this one week we had a lecturer this white clear male Anglo-Saxon teacher was teaching us the importance of black culture and music like black music like fuck it I'm so done with that I had a post-colonialism lecture a few weeks ago and it was by a white person and I'm like the fuck do you know about post (laughs) I'm sorry it just makes me so mad this is just gonna turn into me swearing but no go on Tiara sorry like don't apologize but that's the thing right in the grand scheme of accountability as a student that notices these little sort of discrepancies and wants to say something about it is it my place to be like sorry, why is a white man talking about the significance of black music and Selma and This Is America and all of these monumental um, events and pop culture items that you clearly... that That's the thing, right? It's like, you can teach me about... You can teach me about these things. Mm. But also, 
I won't be able to learn from you. You can teach me about it, but you will never truly be able to empathize with the experience or with the issue at hand. So I will never truly be able to learn anything from you. I could learn from someone who, for example, whose grandfather was a part of the civil rights movement or had a direct or indirect experiences, but I couldn't take that lecture seriously. I think I like left halfway because I was like, he's just talking about how much he loves Donald Glover. I'm done. <laughs> no, it's it's genuinely frustrating. And I think the worst thing about it is that you know you have no power to call it out. Or if you do try and call it out, you know that the effects of that, the impact of that is going to be so consequential that it's going to wreck your future almost. And it, it just really sucks. And like, I remember even, you know, like teachers, I guess, in high school, or whatever, and you know, they would be standing far too close to you, you know, that they were a little bit creepy, but at the end of the day, you're like, I've been sitting here with my hand up for an hour, and I need your help with this question or whatever. And it's just like, there's so many people like that in your life, or at least, I don't know, in a lot of people's life that I know, or like, it might be a netball coach, it might be whatever, that are just like, either creepy as hell or just racist or homophobic and every single time you want to say something and they just don't get it like i remember make jokes about me being indian and one of the jokes he made he said oh varsha if you had a child what would you call him and i was like like i just didn't respond because i was like what the fuck do i say to that and he's like you'd call him rogan josh do you get it and i was like no and I straight up told him I was like stop making racist comments and he's like it's just a joke can't you take it I'm seen as this uptight girl who can't take anything and it's like that's the last thing I don't want to be seen as this like really uptight hypochondriac but when you say things like that it does make me mad it's a bit deeper than that though right like if the butt of your joke is a minority or a person of color or a gay person or a queer person then is it actually a joke and I don't even mean to sound like a PC warrior because I'm not I'm one of the least or one of the most moderate in terms of you know making jokes etc like I can let certain shit slide not all of it certainly not all of it don't go making racist jokes in front of me or drop the n-word because I will smack you but but there are just certain things that like light-hearted banter I can accept but when a person of color or a gay person is the butt of your joke and if they're in the same room as you, like, that's not a joke. And he would say it straight up. And he would, like, do these, like, fake Indian dance moves. Like, it was just so bad. And the thing mm. is, like, he did have his really good moments. Like, there were times where I really respected him because he was super supportive of all of my climate stuff and, you know, all of that. And, like, there was also just this idea that, like, it's just a joke, get over it. And I think that's... That's where I didn't know whether I could hate him either because he didn't think that what he was doing was wrong. And I think when we just allow that to happen, we reinforce that culture. A hundred percent. You said something very interesting. And so I'm going to go off what you and Tarang said. But when it comes to accountability, do you realise that when it comes to brown families and accountability and the sort of power dynamic or imbalance that is present, do you feel sort of the motto of respect your parents is just, or respect your elders is be submissive to them or don't cross the line. 
because I feel as if when it comes to certain interactions, the line of respect only goes one way. So I have to respect the older uncle or the older auntie who clearly doesn't give a crap or doesn't respect me or has talked crap about, you know, me or what I do in the past, right? Like, do you have you ever had an experience with that? Yeah, for sure. There was this one time that, I'm not going to say who, but I got into an argument about homophobia and this was probably when I was, like, in year seven or eight. Like, I was young. I'm still young, but, like, I was little. Like, I was a child. And... I was telling someone that their thoughts on homophobia, like they were just saying it's wrong and blah, blah, blah. And they were quite defensive about it. Like I probably was as well as a like a 13 year old child, but it wasn't good. And then it kind of ended up escalating. They were like, well, if you had children and one of them was gay, you wouldn't want that, would you? And I was like, no, I, I wouldn't mind. Like I, it's not something that I would want or not want. Like it's just... It's the way it is. It's like, I'm not going to ask ask that to be changed. And, like, they just stormed off upstairs. And then I had, like, family come around and be like, you need to go apologize to them. Like, you know, they're an elder. You need to respect them. And I was just like, this makes no sense. And finally that person came and apologized to me. And it was the biggest deal in the world that they apologized to me. They were like, oh my God, did you see? Like that person apologized to you? They're your elder. Look at that. Times are really changing. And I was like, that just does not make sense. And especially the power dynamic, not only between an older person and a younger person, but also when that person's male. I find is just it's really like it really exacerbates that dynamic and like how powerless you feel even though you have a very valid and what I consider to be just like an objectively right opinion that homophobia is wrong Mm, and that's the thing right like you speaking out or you sort of holding holding that family member accountable it's it's your prerogative right like you can do whatever you want within your means but also you're kind of cracking or or poking like you said before poking the bear right you're cracking at years worth of like traditional notions and accepted normalities that other people probably weren't as brave to speak out against as you were or you're going against you're the only one that was yeah, had the balls to go against someone put a leash on that bitch look at her speaking against the elders it is yeah it literally is that because yeah because like my mom's not a homophobic person but like she puts up with it because she's like I don't want to poke the bear and that's so valid because I put up with it now as well like which is not right but also I don't have the emotional energy nor the stamina to keep up with people who I know that I'm just not going to be able to change do you ever feel like that I think there are people that I associate with that definitely have contrasting perspectives to me there are people that I know and that I love that do not agree with me um I'm sort of the one to push it aside until it maybe becomes a problem later but Mm. there's also that aspect of I could yell at you I could throw a brick at you I could I wouldn't throw a brick at anyone disclaimer sorry I would never that's so I would never do that (laughs) um I could I could right I could scream at you I could hold a whole ass textbook full of scientifically researched information in front of you and you still wouldn't budge. And that's just the reality, right? Like there are just some people whose 
thoughts and opinions are so ingrained and honestly respect my valid my opinion is just as valid and important as yours are we different yeah but I also have to respect it do I agree is it a bit dickish yeah so I don't like it I don't necessarily accept it but I do respect it but also there's just like you know right there's like just some things you can't change and yeah I could go on a tangent for the amount of experience um I've had and Vasha could too but there's just some Mm. things that you can't change and unfortunately people are a part of that and people you love are a part of that yeah I think it's hard like I know people who say you can't choose your family and I'm actually quite lucky to have a family that is quite progressive in most senses and you know there's no anti-vaxxers there's none of that and like we have our differences of opinions but it never comes like it's nothing that stops us meeting up or anything like I just I need to make that very clear like I'm very privileged in that fact even like the climate stuff whenever that you know happens like strikes and stuff like I've had family come to that which is just beyond what I would have imagined but yeah I'm really lucky but even even if I'm feeling like this and in being in such a privileged position, I can't imagine how hard it must be for people who have family members that are outright homophobic all the time. And like when you are queer, it just, it must be really difficult. And I hope some of the things that we talked about in today's episode and just like, I guess the one practical tip that we asked of Tarang, um, I hope that kind of sticks with you and, and you know, comes with you. But Tiara, do you have any plans for Christmas or the holidays coming up where you have to see people that you don't mesh well with? And if there are any people like that, what do you plan to do to deal with it? No, not I don't think for Christmas at least. But um, if I do end up in a situation, like if I do end up in a situation where I'm faced with someone that I have a history with or I know that I can't communicate with in political or at least engage um within political discourse I'm just gonna like go hang with the children (laughs) like um I am an adult and I know how to use my voice and I have and I've kind of my the perception of me has been changed because of it but I also don't care because like Tarang said what I'm saying is my truth and I believe it and I have a well enough informed opinion on it that I don't need to prove anything to you Mm. I don't need to educate you there are googles and there are books and if you don't want to or you want to just receive skewed information from Fox News, go ahead, babe. I'm not the one to police you. Do whatever you want. You're wrong scientifically, but also I can't police you. So I think, yeah, dead said just going to chill with the kids. What about you? Do you have anyone you have to face this Christmas? <laughs> yeah, I probably do. Um, my plan, I think it's just it's just not I don't engage in those conversations. But like sometimes I have people come and talk to me about climate change from time to time and I'm like, and, like, they know that they're completely opposed to my views. And I'm like, oh, why are we having this conversation? Like, we don't agree on this. This is why I don't bring it up. Like, I'm not going to bring up, you know, being gay or being bisexual or pansexual or anything with a person who I know is actively homophobic when I know that I can't change their opinion either. So, yeah, my plan is just to steer clear of the conversations. I always try and divert it. I don't know if that's good. It's probably, like, reinforcing their own beliefs that are not necessarily right but yeah I think in the grand scheme of things sometimes there are those people that you just have to have to let go so I just divert the conversation Mm, honestly right Mm. okay 
I was thinking about calling people out or calling people in, whatever, or just, you know, uh, telling people when something they've done is a little bit insensitive. And do you find it easier to call out a certain group of people? So here are my groups and I want to know which group is easiest and most difficult for you to call out. So you have your people of color girl friends, you have your people of color boy friends, you have your white boy friends and your white girlfriends. Which of the groups is easiest to call out and which one's the most difficult? And these are people your age. Um, I've never had to call out my POC, my women of color friends, because they're they're really smart and <laughs> like they know what to say. Um, and they are just smart in general. But mm. I think I found it hard to call out POC dudes. White dudes, I have no issue with, <laughs> um, or like Anglo-Saxon men. I think I have too much experience in uni tutorials and con, you know, contrary opinions of mine being said that I'm like I feel comfortable engaging in political discourse with them at the point. But then when it comes to women of color, sorry, people, men of color, and like my mates who are just brown, and there are a lot of brown people that I'm mates with, it's hard for me because it's like I've been taught, I've been the culture, like it has never been taught to me actually. My parents and my family are much more progressive than that, but it's sort of the general gist is you don't speak up to people who are older than you, but also the people that were older than me were predominantly men. So in my head, growing up, it was kind of like, do I call out mm. a brown dude in gen? Like, can I do that? And I've done it. I've done it. And I haven't regretted it. But I think I had an issue with that for a very long time up until quite recently where I um, got into a partnership and I was like, I kind of like I like I can talk to you and you won't get mad or I can talk to you and you won't get offended that I say this and they're like yeah "Yeah, it's chill I want you to communicate with me so yeah well it sounds like a very healthy relationship which we love all the green flags (laughs) yeah but yeah no that's interesting I think I find I think I find calling out women of color like people my age quite easy I it's probably not good but I think there's this there I don't know why it is I was trying to think about why but maybe just because there's this little bit of comfortability around it I think it also it's like I'm more intimidated by white women for sure which I I don't know probably stems from some colonial instinct that is inside of me to be intimidated by these holier than thou people um but then yeah I think brown boys as well is a little bit easier I think just like white people I find more difficult to call out because I think I feel my opinion is less worthy they probably know better and like who am I to say anything I'm just a woman of color like I'm a 19 year old brown girl you're actually gonna listen to me and I think the way that I've had certain people approach me and you know oppose my opinions has been because I'm a 19 year old brown girl like they wouldn't do the same thing to a 19 year old boy but they would do that to me no i completely get that there's there's a distinction there's a big difference in how women are treated versus how men are treated in terms of accountability and call out culture etc but yeah um should we wrap it up yeah well thank you all so much for listening i know i think this is one of my favorite episodes just hearing tarong speak and also just sharing 
It was just like a bit of a ranty episode of us recounting some of the experiences we've had, which is always fun. Also, sorry that we missed a week. Tiara and I have just had a really hectic time with exams and work and just life and everything. So yeah, we definitely will try not to miss another week, but just life comes up, you know it, and we're always telling other people to take a break. So we need to take a break as well. Self-love, hashtag self-love, self-care, all of that. So yeah, but thank you again so much for listening and can't wait to chat to you next week. Thank you.